TCU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome in to Hoist the Colors on this Friday, Reaction Friday. East Carolina falls to SMU 31-10. to They suffer another disappointing setback. They're now 0-5 against FBS competition this year, 1-5 overall. The long win, of course, coming against Gardner-Webb, but another frustrating night. Inside Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, again, similar theme to past games. East Carolina hangs around, hangs around. Looks like they've got momentum at certain points. Defense playing extremely well. One score game in the fourth quarter. East Carolina has the football, has the chance to really go win the game or take the lead and just can't do enough offensively. And two back-breaking turnovers, including a pick six, leads to more of the same. So we, we are having a reaction show on this Friday. We're live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, you got a question, comment. I'm sure many of you do. We got a lot to discuss. If you want to call in, you can do that as well. 252-561-8255. We're taking any and all calls over the next hour. Philip Pilkington is producing. He's back in the studio. We'll get his thoughts on the, the game here shortly. Uh, but again, 252-561-8255. Philip, just let me know if anybody calls in. Feel free to interrupt me. I'm not quite as long-winded as Steve Logan, but, um, you might have, you might have to step in. <laughs> That's uh, hard every to be. now and then. And, That's and hard that. to be. Yeah. I love Coach. Exactly, but he's a little long winded. Yeah, he's the he's the best. He just he he definitely gets going. Um, so look, I mean, it's it's like a broken record at this point, Philip. It's you know the defense plays well enough to win and plays well enough to to keep you in the game, and the offense just can't get anything going. We heard a lot from Donnie Kirkpatrick coming out of the bye week about East Carolina shooting its shot and maybe doing some different things offensively. And I did see some different things. The results were the same. You know, they used more two-back sets. They used more motion. Uh, they did chip on a tight end and running back at times. You know, They involved Chase Sowell more in the passing game. Because a lot of the things I wanted to see, they did. Unfortunately, Javius Bond, which was my number one thing I wanted to see, him get fed the ball more. He gets hurt on the game's opening kickoff. That's a whole other discussion we can get into whether or not he should be out there. But the results are the same. We saw more Mason Garcia. We saw Alex Flint. And neither guy could really consistently move the offense. Mason did have the two scoring drives, but the Pirates shut out in the second half. And just a really, really frustrating time right now for ECU fans because, Philip, to me, it feels like you got the best defense you've had in years. And at this point, it's all being wasted just on the, the lack of ability to score the football. Yeah, you do have a phenomenal defense, and I think the interesting thing here, I go, is we had a lot of worries. I'm gonna make this quick. So we got a caller coming in, but a lot of the positions we worried about seem like they're even the best positions. So, like the cornerback room, for example, is phenomenal. I'll toss it back to you so I can answer this phone. Yep. Uh, again, if you want to call in, as Philip takes that call, two five two five six one. 8255, we got a lot of responses on Twitter as well, and we'll get to some of those throughout the, the next hour. Just, uh, you know, frustrating time right now because, and look, nobody, I've said this before, nobody's working on it more than the coaching staff and the players, but the results are the results. This is a win business, and when you don't win football games, it, it gets frustrating. And year five of Mike Houston era, I mean, 
we're just kind of seeing things, uh, you know, trending the wrong direction offensively. All right, Philip, is that call already? Yep, we got Dan on the line. Dan, what's up? Hey, I go. Um, just a kind of a question for you. I know Donnie has been taking some pretty big heat and and rightfully so over over the course of the season so far. But how much of the play calling is actually Mike Houston? I'm not convinced that Houston doesn't want to play kind of a you know rough and tumble up the middle low-scoring football game. We've heard him say it a lot, especially, you know, around Navy time. He's, he's really excited to have those kind of tough, you know, tough yardage, low-scoring football games. So how much of that is Houston rather than it actually being Donnie? You know, it's a, it's a good question. You know, Donnie is calling the actual plays, and he is, you know, calling the plays from play to play. I, my thing is I don't know if – you know, we're not in the headset, so we don't know how much Mike Houston has the ability to dictate, all right, you know, let's go in a different direction here with this play call. From my understanding, I think he has an influence on kind of the style and the maybe the game plan as far as, hey, here's what we want to do. But Donnie is calling the plays from play, so, you know, from play to play. Coach Houston does have the, the veto power to step in and change a play if he wants to, but I just have a hard time believing he would be up there on the headset while Donnie's trying to call a drive, dictating play-to-play. what is He's a defensive coach. So, again, I think it's more of a philosophy thing than him actually calling plays. So, yeah. maybe, you know, look, it probably has something to do with it. Dan, I think certainly, you know, Coach Houston seems to be a more conservative coach. Uh, over his time, he used to run the triple option. But I think defensively, he's more involved as far as the X's and O's. Uh, but I, I would say he definitely plays a role in the philosophy. But it is Donnie's play calling at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. I guess Donnie's been, you know, he's, he's been in the offensive game for a long time. I just thought that by now Donnie would have tried to mix it up. I know, you know, you've talked about you can't overhaul an offense midseason. However, if you, if you call plays for some time, I think you can mix it up, roll things out, do things a little bit different to get guys out. I know that I just, it, I thought maybe. Maybe Mike was having a little more control over the style of offense that we're playing, um, and and maybe it's not all Donnie, but just a personal thought. Hey. Appreciate the appreciate the feedback. Absolutely, man. Thanks for the call. And yeah, I mean that's just one of those things. It's hard to know exactly what that dynamic is like. I'm sure you know they meet before and after every game throughout the week, kind of address how they want to attack the defense. I'm sure Coach Houston, with his defensive background, gives his input on, hey, here's how this defense looks, here's how we might can attack it. But I've always gotten the vibe it's kind of Donnie's offense, and, you know, Coach probably steps in with maybe some philosophy thoughts every now and then. But it's tough for us to say, even as close as, you know, I, I like to think I answer the program. I don't really know. And we've asked in the past, uh, but, you know, I don't think Coach Houston is, is the type of guy to come out and say exactly what's going on 100% behind the scenes. Uh, but there's definitely some influence there, and but I think it is Donnie's play calling. All right, if anybody else wants to call in, again, 252-561-8255. I posted the drive chart, Philip. We talked about this before the show. East Carolina had 16 offensive possessions, which is a lot. Nine three and outs. 11 drives with less than or with three plays or less because two of those drives, you had the fumble on the second play and you had the interception on the first play. So 11 of your 16 drives, Phillip, 
three plays or less. Uh, you did have two scoring drives in the first half, two extended scoring drives. One of those, an explosive play happened to Chase Sewell, I think 45-yard catch. But outside of that, just no real explosion plays, no real consistency offensively, and it's just hard to uh, – it's hard to pinpoint the exact issue, and again, I, I saw some different things, but you can't win a football game having nine three and outs, or you know, the vast majority of your drives being three plays or less. Hey, I go. We got a uh, Reese on the line. Okay, Reese, uh, let's let's hear it, man. What's going on? Uh, so I was just thinking, uh, you know, we're running the the double quarterback situation right now, um, and, and I'm kind of trying to figure out what do you guys think about that. You know, we had snapping practice and stuff like that. They're getting uh, different cues, and uh, so I'm just kind of, you know, what's your thoughts on that? Are you, you know, agreeing with the double quarterback situation or thinking that we should kind of start really ripping into one versus the other, or what's uh, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, good question, Reese. Hey, if you could, could you turn your radio down just so we don't get that feedback? But um, it's, you know, it's, it's a tough situation. Um because neither guy in a game situation has stepped up and, and separated himself as a clear go-to guy. Like, clearly Mason Garcia did have the two scoring drives last night, but then they hit a major lull. And at times when they did have good pass protection with Mason in there, which wasn't a lot, you know, he missed some throws, and that caused some issues as well. So I think they decided after the run game kind of stalled out a little bit to go back to Alex Flynn and – Unfortunately, they move the ball at times, but then you turn the ball over, and you can't you can't have turnovers. And that's been Alex's issue, whether it's him or the the guys around him. They have had too many turnovers when Alex Flynn is in at quarterback, too many back breaking turnovers. At the end of the day, I just don't think you have a a true number one quarterback right now. And you know, people have said let's play Raheem Jeter. I don't think that's going to solve anything right now. He's a true freshman. There's too many issues offensively around these guys. If you had a better supporting cast, I think it'd be a better situation for Mason and Alex. That's not there right now, so a lot is falling on their shoulders. Um, and, and with the two-quarterback deal, in some ways, it makes the defense prepare for more, but it also, like you said, you know, different type of ball they're throwing, different cadence. You know, we did see the false start two separate occasions. Uh, you know, still shouldn't happen theoretically, but it plays a role. So it's just one of those things until one of these guys steps up in a game and basically go wins a football game. That's what it comes down to. If Mason would have led a touchdown drive to give them the lead early in the third quarter, he gets the chance to finish the game probably. If Alex goes out and leads a touchdown drive to give him the lead, you know he has the chance to go finish the game. And, and neither guy in the offense right now is just not getting it done. So that's kind of why you're seeing this musical chairs as frustrating as it is. Right. So how much do you play it to the O-line versus the quarterback? Cause, I mean, there's a lot of breakdown in the O-line that shuts the pocket down. You know, it's – uh I mean, I get quarterbacks should be trained for pressure, right? But, um, you know, as, as much pressure as they're receiving, it's kind of hard to, to really even give them a chance sometimes. Yeah, no, it's, it's fair. And going into the game, pro football focus ranked ECU dead last in the country in FBS football, 133 out of 133 teams in pass protection. SMU was ranked second in the country in pass rush. It was going to be a mismatch. They've got dudes up front, ECU's offensive lines trying to find it. So that's a major problem right now. And they gave up a lot of pressure last night in just four-man rush situations. There were guys coming free when they blitzed them. So that certainly has a lot to do with it. And if you had a more stable offensive line, 
you probably wouldn't be seeing some of the turnovers we've seen these quarterbacks make because I think it, it gets in their head too when they know they have to get rid of the football quick rather than go through their progression. So it all goes hand in hand. But to me, the whole offense is is broken right now. I mean, there's no – outside of the running back position, the running backs are an above average solid position group. The rest of the offense right now I don't think is is, is good enough. And I think that's why you're seeing the, the offensive output – We've seen 11.4 offensive points per game against FBS competition through half a season is is the average, and that's just problematic. So, but uh, Reese, uh, yeah. appreciate the call. Anything else? Uh, no, that'll be all. I uh, thanks for your input. Yeah, man, thanks for the call. And uh, there's Reese. Appreciate his call. All right, anybody else want to call in? We're about to take our first break. Two five two five six one eight two five five. We'll get you on the line. Fill it back in the studio. We'll uh, interrupt me, and we'll find a way to get you through to the show. All right, a few more things. I'll check the Facebook and YouTube feed. Uh, Noah on Facebook says Dan Mullen would be a good hire if we could get him. Yeah, he's a really good coach. I don't, I don't know how much he's, you know, trying to get paid these days. He'd be a heck of an OC, though. I mean, he, he, yeah, I, I didn't watch the broadcast. He seemed to be having a good time, though, uh, and it seemed like the ESPN crew was very complimentary of ECU. Chris Melvin said, I'm trying to find my, try my best to find some hope. A few years ago, Tulane only won two games, then came back last year and won the Cotton Bowl. Maybe we could do the same. Probably not, but I'm trying to be hopeful. And I mean, for me, Chris, when I look at this situation, it's, I know nobody wants to hear this, but the team is really not that far away if they could keep the defense in place and just fix the offense. I mean, that's easier said than done, but if you go out and got a quarterback, you got a number one receiver, an offensive tackle or two, and just had a competent offense, you could be a really good football team. This is probably the best defense we've seen at ECU since the Conference USA Championships, and right now it's just being wasted. So I think the foundation is there. The problem is just the foundation offensively has crumbled, and right now the defense has improved dramatically. The special teams has been solid. The punting last night was good. Andrew Conrad made a 49-yard field goal. It's just frustrating that the offense has gone into this shell. We knew there'd be a step back, but for it to basically collapse like this has just been it's frustrating. And I understand the frustration. And year five, you know, you could you could you can take a step back, but there's no way it should be this bad uh in year five. So we'll we'll discuss more of that on the other side. Let's get a break in. Uh again, two five two five six one eight two five five. If you want to call in, we'll get you on. This is Hoist the Colors on a Reaction Friday. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Okay, welcome back into the show on this Friday. We're recapping SMU's 31-10. Win over ECU, Pirates dropped to 1-5. All right, let's head back to the live lines. Cameron, I believe, is holding on. Let's get to Cameron. Uh, what do you got for us, Cameron? Hey, Stephen. Uh, you've been following – ECU sports for a long time. I mean, it's your job. You've seen different coaches, staffs come through and stuff, different players come through. To me, the most concerning aspect of this whole ordeal we're going through right now is the fact that our coaching staff has been here five years, two winning seasons, but yet they can't seem to develop and their players that they've recruited. And it also seems to me that – that we have may have laid a major egg on the offensive recruiting side of the football. I mean, our offensive linemen are undersized. They can't hold up. Poor quarterback play. 
how how did the coaches not see this coming two years ago when they knew our office of production was going to leave and graduate? It just blows my mind, especially after two winning seasons. How could you not develop these players more? How could you not recruit more to after the transfer portal? I mean, I I choose not to believe that they didn't see this coming. I have a feeling they, that they're smart people. They knew that this was probably going to happen, and now here we are on the track to maybe a two and ten season. It's just that's the most concerning part to me is just the recruiting failure on the offensive side of the ball. I just want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean that's definitely the the biggest issue. I mean, and, and you know, I talked about this with Bobby Harvard, who we have on every Wednesday. He made the point. You know, a lot of people said, "Did Coach Houston?" expect to be out of here by year five, and that's why it's it's taken such a dive. I don't think so. I mean, you look at the defensive side of the ball, they have recruited well, they've established an identity, and they have developed players on that side of the ball. Offensively, it's been the opposite. I mean, they, they don't really have an identity. They When you don't have a quarterback, things can look rough. I think they expected Mason Garcia to be the guy. And I've been out of practice. Mason has looked phenomenal at times. And it just has not translated into games, and it's cost them. And the offensive line, you know, you lose Avery Jones and Nashad Strother. Uh, Nashad kind of really hurt them, leaving at the end of spring ball. That's a guy you expect to be an all-conference caliber guard. Then he leaves at the end of spring. You know, if that's done in the winter, maybe it's a little bit easier to handle. But certainly the offensive line recruiting and development leaves a lot to be desired. The receiving recruiting is the most disappointing to me because ECU – historically always recruits receivers well. And you look at the offensive recruiting under this regime, Brock Spalding is the only scholarship receiver originally recruited out of high school still on the team from, like, I think the 2019 through 2022 recruiting classes, which is uh, is just hard to fathom. And, you know, recruiting's an inexact science. NFL draft, we see it all the time. That's an inexact science. How many quarterbacks miss in that realm? So, you're not always going to hit 100%. I mean, if you hit 50 to 60% in football recruiting, you're doing pretty good. But they've missed on too many guys offensively. They brought in some transfers. Uh, they weren't. They were not able to get the top line transfers they wanted this offseason due to NIL, and they, quite frankly, at this point, are missing the quarterback, and that is causing a lot of these other issues to show up. And right now, we've got the results we got. But I agree, you got to be in a better position right now. They just they, they, they missed the boat offensively uh, based on what we've seen half a season in, Cameron. That's kind of what I got. Anything else? Uh, I just wanted to say thank you for all the hard work you do to ECU Athletics. Uh, I love reading your stuff. I mean, you, you've been through a lot of bad years, good years. I appreciate all the stuff you've done for East Carolina. Appreciate it, Cameron. Thanks for tuning in, man. Thanks for reading, and uh, thanks for the call. And, yeah, it's – Unfortunately, a little, we're all a little used to this at this point. It's just, I think what makes it so difficult for everybody involved, fans, even coaches, players, uh, media is we, we thought we were kind of past this. And now here we are back, back again in a tough circumstance. And it's just frustrating. Uh, but by the way, anybody else want to call in 252-561-8255? Uh, Philip Pilkington is producing. Philip, this is, this is fun, man. Nothing like live callers to get the show rolling, but. I guess when you have a, a reaction show the day after a loss versus on a Monday, give it a few days to stir or stew a little bit. It's a little bit different, right? Yeah, people have had less than 24 hours to meditate on it, and they want to be heard. So I, I definitely don't blame them. I love all the callers. The one thing I will say about this offense um, that was going to do it when you first threw it to me and I was answering the phone was uh, Mason Garcia, I thought, after a couple weeks ago, 
had no chance of succeeding in this program at the confidence level that he was at. And yes, you know, you kind of mentioned some plays that he made that maybe weren't phenomenal, but I saw, and I want to get your take on it because you were there a much more confident Mason Garcia. It looked like the Mason Garcia we saw at Michigan for the first couple drives before he threw that pick. And I think now he still at least stands a chance to be the guy of the future just solely because he's in the right mindset, or at least he appears to be with his body language and his footwork in the pocket. I really thought he made a concerted effort, you know, at times when they were, when they had like good offensive plays, you could see he was trying to be kind of that emotional spark, that emotional leader. Like he was yelling to the sideline, like, let's go to his teammates. So like, you know, I really like Alex Flynn. He's more of the calm and composed demeanor type, whereas Mason's a little more energetic, upbeat. And, um, I do thought he looked more confident last night and, or do think, and I think, you know, there's, there's stuff to build on there. I don't necessarily blame the coaches for going back to Alex Flynn because the offense had kind of stalled out and, you know, Mason had struggled to, to make some passes with good pockets. You know, Alex just didn't perform much better, unfortunately. So, like, I, I understand the question of it, too. I think even if they would have stayed with Mason, I'm not sure they would have scored again based on how the game was, was trending. So it's just one of those things. I do think eventually, though, you reach a point where you got to roll with Mason, and we've talked about this a lot too. You got to find out if he's got if he's got the chance to be the guy. Use the second half of the season. At this point, you're not likely going to a bowl game, so use the second half of the year to 100% know is he the guy or is he not. And if if anything else, you got to find out the answer to that question by the end of the year. And if not, then I don't know what what we're really doing uh, because. You got to go into the offseason knowing you need a quarterback if he's not on the roster already, and you're going to need some NIL money to realistically get that done. So I like Cole Hodge, the freshman they have committed, but you can't count on a true freshman to come in a quarterback and start right away. Um, all right, a few more comments here uh, as we uh, continue to roll along on this reaction Friday. Facebook, Jay says Steve Logan. By the way, you can hear the Logan's on tonight, 5 o'clock. On 94.3 The Game, Jay says, Steve Logan always said most meaningful stats are turnovers and rushing for 150 yards and passing for 200-plus. He says, we lost turnover battle 2 nothing, rushed for 97 and only threw for 193. He has zero turnovers until the fourth quarter, and those were back-breaking turnovers. As, uh, again, 14-10 game, Flynn has a good first down run, and he's stripped. SMU gets a field goal off that, and then the pick six. So it's just... Those are, are back-breaking plays. Uh, WJ says probably time for Coach Houston to figure out what type of coordinator he wants for next season. Tommy says transfer portal went there for a few years ago. We lost a lot after last year. Johnny Martin, last night Mason provided a spark, and then they pulled him, and he didn't play in the second half. Last night looked like his night. Well, he did start the second half, but then he went three and out his first two series of the second half. So, look, I, I get it. You know, there's been times we've seen – Alex get a full game and we haven't really seen that from Mason since Marshall I have a feeling though going forward there's a good chance we see Mason full game just for the reasons I I talked about earlier Uh, Jay to that point says it's time to put Flynn on the shelf he has a turnover problem we've seen a ceiling at this point it would be a split or it should be a split between Mason and Jeter don't worry about Jeter's redshirt we are playing for 2024 um I don't know. Wait, man. I gotta, it's just one that, of those that, things. That's a little confusing yeah. to me. If we're playing for 2024, why? I guess his point is to like breed Jeter to be ready for next year. Right. I guess is his point. But 
Still, yeah, I, I you also say, want a red shirt in that. Yeah, I also want a red shirt. But I guess his point is we need to be good in 2024. Don't worry about 2028, I guess, or 2027. It would be, I guess, is his point. So, I don't know. Still, I'm. Look, I don't. I don't want Jeter to lose confidence by getting thrown to the wolves. Yeah. And crap hitting the fan. We just talked about it. Like this offensive line is ranked dead last, which is, it still blows my mind because ECU. I get it. You're not going to be able to have good offensive line talent. You know, at every spot, it's a tough position to recruit, but you shouldn't be last in the country in pass protection. And pro football focus is a subjective grading scale, but the numbers are the numbers. You can watch the tape. It's not pretty. Uh, ECU cannot drop back and pass the ball at really any consistency right now. And you put Jeter back there, it's, you know, he's athletic. He can run around and make some things happen, but I, I think you go with Mason. At least give him the next three, four games to try and figure it out. And then if, if it's not then, then maybe you, you give Jeter the last couple of games of the year. I just, you know, that's how I kind of view it. But that's why the coaches are getting paid to make these decisions. Uh, this is a, you know, a winnable game against Charlotte. So it's a chance to, to build some confidence with some quarterback. If uh, they go out there and succeed, we'll see what happens. We'll get into that a lot more next week uh, on the show. All right, let's get our second break in. We'll come back. We will continue on. We'll continue to take your calls. If you want to call in, 252-561-8255. Again, 252-561-8255. We've got several comments to read on social media as well. We'll be right back. This is Hoist the Colors after an East Carolina loss to SMU. We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. All right, welcome back to this Reaction Friday show, October 13th, recapping. A tough ECU loss, 31-10, to 10, gets away from the Pirates again in the fourth quarter. We're taking your calls, reading your comments. I do want to hit our Pirate of the Week, brought to you by East Coast Agency. Usually we do this on Mondays. We saved it for Friday this week with the game being on Thursday. Appreciate Tim Vliet and his support of the program are you prepared for the unpredictable hurricane season is here but don't worry they'll get you covered at east coast agency when the storm clouds gather eca's insurance programs are your umbrella of protection from home auto or your business eca's tailored plans to shield what matters most it doesn't matter who your agent is until it does call the team at eca today 91 uh 919-446-5061 uh, is that number it should be 910 910- Four four six fifty sixty one, and our pirate of the week this week, Siobhan Rebel. I know a lot of tough stuff from the offense, but how about that defense yesterday? And really, SMU came out with a game plan with ECU playing the run, and with ECU playing man coverage on the back end. They were taking shots at Siobhan Rebel down the sideline. The former JUCO cornerback did a tremendous job. He was targeted 10 times. He said after the game, I've never been tested like that in, in my career. He only gave up two catches. He did give up a 39-yard catch, but, I mean, honestly, they threw at him downfield close to six, seven times alone, threw at him 10 times total. He had four pass breakups. He also had four tackles without a missed tackle. Uh, Pro Football Focus graded him out elite, 90.4 defensive grade, 90.3 coverage grade. Tremendous performance by Siobhan Revel, and he is our East Coast Agency Pirate of the Week. And, uh, again, Antoine Jackson, I know, gave some plays last night, had a P.I., but still really high on these two corners. I mean, he's a true freshman. He's going to continue to get better. And this defense right now is is good enough to win football games. It's just the offense is not. 
All right, if you want to call in, 252-561-8255-2-5-2-5-6-1-8255. Let's get back to your your comments on social media. And uh, Thick Poppy, great name, says, I, pre- I pray that we could retain a lot of the defensive players. And John Moody says, NIL scares me to death. I don't know how a school like ECU can even put up a fight. Well, I mean, I think it's a fair concern, John. I do think ECU has the donor base to be respectable in NIL. And the other issue is, too, you're losing the teams. Look, SMU is a different ballgame. They have more talent than ECU because they've gone out, they've bought players. But when you're losing to Rice, which I think has some NIL presence but not a lot, when you're losing to App and Marshall, those teams I don't think have more NIL presence than ECU. That's when it becomes a little bit less of a, a talking point, but it's still a, a legitimate point because if you are going to use NIO, which ECU definitely will and needs to, you're going to have to make the most of your resources. Right now, ECU is kind of paying the players on the team via a tiered system through the Boneyard Collective. Maybe you find a way this offseason to put more of that into the transfer portal. Hey, you need a quarterback? All right, let's take, let's say, $400,000 that we've raised and put a hundred thousand of that to go buy a quarterback, put 50,000 to go buy an offensive tackle. Uh, you know, you may not get the top guys on the market. You won't because the sec is paying a lot more. A lot of schools are paying a lot more, but you can get a solid player, a solid upgrade. So they're going to have to reevaluate what they're doing this off season. If you want to compete for championships. And I, I think the donors need to open, uh, open their eyes. Some already have, you know, I know the Clarks gave $100,000 to Team Boneyard uh, this time last year and maybe again for this year. So, But some of the big-time donors that have given millions, you know, try to give some of that money to NIO. Without the players, you can have the nicest facilities in the world, but if you don't have the players, you're not going to have wins. If you don't have wins, you're not going to have fans in the stands. So I think everything, coaching, NIO, from the top down needs to be evaluated this offseason based on how the season's going. Uh, to, to be honest, all of it needs fixing right now. So that's the uh, topic for the offseason. Philip, what's your, you know, on the NIL front, do you feel like ECU can at least be competitive there and maybe not dominate the landscape, but at least find a way to, you know, to have a better product than what we're seeing now? I think they 100% do. You know, we have to realize NIL is still relatively new. A lot of the kids that are on this team that are playing on the field were recruited prior to NIL becoming a thing, or at least a lot of NIL collectives. And what makes me feel positive about East Carolina is Rhett Lashley, SMU's coach, said in his Monday press conference, the best atmosphere in the American is ECU. Our fan base is more passionate about pirate football than most other fan bases in the American. Yes, there are teams elsewhere in the country in bigger conferences where that might not be the case, but at the end of the day, we need to have the goal to do what we did in Conference USA, win conference championships. And when you go to Rice and you see nobody in the stands, or Charlotte, FAU, Temple, Tulsa, Tulane, and the list goes on and on and on, we have more fans in the stands. I think we have more fans that care. Now, I did mention some private schools that might have a couple guys with some big-time oil money, Tulsa, for example, where even though they might not have as many people that care, they've got some resources we don't have in eastern North Carolina to help with that. But overall, I mean, Temple's in Philadelphia. I don't think most kids who go to Temple know that Temple has a football team. 
and I'm sure their alumni doesn't really care. So those are the teams that we have to be better than in NIL, and I think moving forward there's a huge opportunity for us to be, and I think we will be. But, again, you almost have to get four recruiting classes of guys when NIL had already been in place when they were starting being recruited, as in when they were juniors. That's when you will see the full, you know, effect of the NIL and NIL collectives. Unfortunately, right now we are still in the infant stages. We're still in the newborn stages of NIL. Yeah, I mean, I think the only, you know, quick fix-wise, you could evaluate the portal and how that's affected by NIL. You know, high school recruiting, definitely you need time. And I don't know, though. It's, it's like you said, early stages. This is really the first year ECU is paying the majority of its roster through NIL. So, like, they're trying to figure it out. The donors are trying to figure it out. Other schools across the country are trying to figure it out. It's something that, you know, I need to, to look into more at the end of the season, towards the end of the season, to really get a better feel for how other schools are doing it. Because I feel like we, we just, as a collective, fan base, media, everybody needs to be educated more on it. So we'll work on that. Um all right, Michael Jones says I'm done calling for coaches to be fired. This is now on John Gilbert, and it's going to be time for him to go if he allows this to continue like this. Yeah, I mean, the, look, tough decisions are going to have to be made at some point if this continues because, like, you you know, you're one of five. You look at the schedule. We try to predict it. I mean, ECU is only going to be favored in maybe two more games as it stands right now. So you could go three and nine. The team could improve. You could maybe get three, four, or five wins. You could finish two, two and ten. I mean, at that point, you're going to lose money for ticket sales for next year. So you, you got to evaluate the whole situation. Tough decisions are going to be made at some point, and I don't know when that is. We also got a fan, Daniel, asking why hasn't Donnie Kirkpatrick been fired yet. This is Bob Trot on steroids. My thing was if you were going to make a change at OC – if it wasn't in the off season, and ECU was coming off a very good statistically offensive year, it wasn't likely to happen then. If you're going to make it in season, it probably would have happened during the bye week. It didn't happen then. I just don't think there's a viable alternative on the staff right now. You have Shane Montgomery as an offensive analyst. He's been an OC before, but this is his first year at the program, and I don't know how different his system is than Scott or than uh, than Donnie Kirkpatrick. So you don't have anybody else in the offensive staff that has play calling experience. So that's a uh, it's just not a an ideal situation to replace him midseason other than you know making a move just to satisfy the fan base which I don't you know maybe there is some credence to that I don't know but uh, that that doesn't strike me as a, a Mike Houston thing to do I mean I think he's gonna make the best decision what he feels is going to give them the best chance to win the next game um, and who knows you know what that is who knows what he's thinking this continues. I don't see how there aren't changes on the offensive side of the ball with the numbers they're putting up at the end of the season. Aaron Murphy says, what are they looking for in a quarterback to name them the guy? He says, no signs of urgency during the fumble play, not going for it fourth and two with six minutes left, already down 14. Uh, good questions there. You know, as far as the quarterback, I think somebody's got to go win the game. I mean, I've said that a lot. Somebody's got to go step up, win a game. I mean, you're, you're 0-5 versus FBS teams. No quarterback has stepped up and made the winning plays in the fourth quarter, which is why the team has collapsed in the fourth quarter. So that kind of answers two birds, uh, two, two birds with one stone there. Uh, no size of urgency during the fumble play. I did have a problem with that. Uh, 
Phillip. I don't know if you saw this, but so Flynn ran. He got the first down, and like SMU players were adamant that they stripped him, and ECU took its time. There was no urgency getting back to the line to snap the ball in the next play. And when they did snap it, of course, it was blown dead. Converse that to what SMU did early in the game when they hit a big passing play over uh, Siobhan Rebel down the sideline. Replay showed the ball may have hit the ground. They got up to the line, snapped it with like 30 seconds left on the play clock, maybe more, just to get the playoff so it wouldn't be reviewed. And uh, I thought the two differences there, you know, you kind of almost have to have a situational awareness to – all right, maybe we did fumble there. Let's get to line, try to snap it so they can't review it. And I thought that was a missed opportunity there. It definitely was. And, you know, the really hard part about football is football is a game of inches to where if you do run to the play, run to the line, you call a play, it doesn't go well, and then you look back and go, oh, we had nothing to worry about, that stinks. But that's for the coaches to think about. That's not for the players to think about. The players have to know, hey, look, all we know is SMU, our guy had the ball, SMU ended up with the ball, and they're all pointing, and they're yelling at officials. It doesn't matter. You've got to get your rear end on the line, get set, get seven guys on the ball, and if you run QB sneak, halfback dive, whatever, it doesn't matter because you would much rather look back and go, crap, we ended up having a negative play. And if we would have taken our time, if we had nothing to worry about in the review, you would so much rather have that regret than waking up this morning and have the regret you have of we took our sweet butt time and they reviewed the darn thing and the other team has the football. I mean, and I saw the replay, you know, the good thing is this game wasn't streaming, so I was only about half a play behind instead of three plays behind like normal from the radio broadcast. And, I mean, it was not close. Alex... Flynn's backside was six, eight, ten inches off the ground. And yeah, they've, like you said, huge missed opportunity. Sorry, you asked me a quick question and I went on a rant and I'm sorry, but um, yeah, big missed opportunity. And you got to have that football IQ. You just got to do it. You just got to get along. It's worthy of a rant because, uh, you know, SMU ran the play. They ran a stretch play, like probably just some stock play they have in for this situation. Hey, let's get to the line, snap it. It was stuff for no game, maybe even a loss. But they got the 50-yard catch or whatever it was to count because they got that playoff. I'm pretty sure the back angle from the end zone showed the ball hitting the ground, but it was the second replay that showed after the ball was already snapped on the ESPN feed. So, like, I don't think even the replay guy had time to review it. So, situational awareness, got to be on it. And then uh, the the uh, Aaron also asked about not going for it on fourth and two. With six minutes left, it was fourth and two from ECU's own 33, down 14. Yeah, I mean, I I would have gone for it there. I'm not a head coach, but I don't know what you have to lose in that situation. I didn't like the call to punt it. You know, they did have three timeouts. If you get them three and out, you get it back with, what, around 5, 4.30 left and three timeouts, and maybe you can still put together a drive from there. But fourth and two, I think you go for it there, Philip. I just I didn't love that call. I what was your thoughts? Growing up watching more NFL – I have always been more conservative about going for on fourth down. However, in this standpoint, the offense was not moving the ball. Even if you get a quick three and out and get the ball back, you're, you're down two scores. Now you're looking at four minutes left. You're going to need explosion plays. This offense has not proved to me in six games that they can have explosion plays. 
every touchdown drive we've had has been sustained drives, which, you know, is good to an extent, but it's not been explosion plays. You would have needed that down two scores inside five minutes. It's fourth and two. I, you know, like I said, I'm not the coach. I've always been more conservative, but in this mindset, I'm going to be a little more gutsy, and uh, I would say go for it as well. Hindsight's obviously 2020 looking back now, but at the time, I, Dom and I kind of looked at each other and we were like, yeah, what's, you know, we were kind of calculating when we would get the ball back, and the calculations did not go well for an offense that has struggled as much as this one has. I think you just got to trust your offense to get three yards, but to your point, Worst uh, passing, and I know you probably would have ran the ball, but worst pass-blocking team in the country. So, uh, you know, two yards is, uh, I guess, easier said than it is to come by sometimes. Yeah, and they they went on to score a touchdown on the, after the punt anyways, SMU did. So, it, you know, ended up basically being the same if you would have given them a short field again, hindsight 2020. But kind of a, a head-scratcher there. A lot of fans were not happy with that decision, and I, I get it, um, you know, I don't. I don't want to say they were conceding defeats because, I mean, the other thing too is Philip, like almost. I mean, you almost have more faith in the defense, like stripping the ball out, than the offense putting together an explosion play at this point. I don't know. So maybe there's some something to the theory they were trying to pin him back and get a defensive turnover. Right. I don't know because. Stone has been turnover prone at times. True, and the the junky part about this is you were down like fourteen and not ten, because I really yeah. do trust our defense in that situation to hold them to three. When our defense has been uh, given a short field this year, they've really been phenomenal. I would even say I'd say throughout the year they've been pretty good, but that is the one category it has just been above and beyond. Is hold them to three. We saw it uh, with the field goal that SMU did have to kick after the fumble that we were talking about just a minute ago from Alex Flynn. So I. I Unfortunately, yeah, you hold them to three, you get down 17. But like you said, just have them punch with the football because at the end of the day, if they let up a touchdown, crap, who cares at that point? And uh, like you said, Stone's been turnover prone. That's kind of been the one difference, I think, between him and uh, Tanner Mordecai last year and why their offense hasn't been as effective is because Tanner did a better job of taking care of the ball than Preston Stone has. Yeah, just a lot of of interesting things happened last night. And, yeah, well – well, I didn't ask Coach Houston after the game, and again, you know, I, every time the team loses, the, the the narrative, at least for us media folks, is we got to ask the tougher questions. And I get it; the fans want to know certain situations. Uh, there are like twenty people in the media room uh, besides just me, but I asked about the offensive ineffectiveness. I think I've asked about it after every game this year in every which way. I did. I probably should have asked about the fourth and two punt. So I'll ask on Monday. Uh, during the coaches show, you know, why punt in that situation or, uh, you know, at the press conference next week, whenever we get a chance to talk to coach again. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just an interesting call. And, uh, either way, I don't think ECU is going to win the game at that point, just given the ineffectiveness of the offense. All right. Let's get our final break in. We'll come back again. If you want to call in, last call for your calls, 252-561-8255. 252-561-8255. We'll be right back to wrap up this Reaction Friday show. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Armageddon! Back to the show with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back into the show on this Friday edition of Hoist the Colors. Wrapping things up. Got a few minutes left before we get out of here. And, hey, everybody can sit back and maybe enjoy some some football this Saturday. Take your mind off the Pirates. Uh, Maybe go do some stuff with the family or just sit back and watch Oregon-Washington. 
and uh, try to get your mind off of it. All right, a few more comments here. Thomas on Facebook says, at what point is Mike Houston going to stand up for his players and show emotion? I still cannot fathom how he did nothing after the pick that wasn't reviewed. Uh, the pick was not a pick. If we're talking about the Siobhan Rebel play, that ball clearly hit the ground. Replay showed, so that was not worth reviewing. I know it looked like a pick live. It was not. Um, as far as coach showing emotion, some of that is due to – look, I've seen him absolutely – chew guys out in practice. Uh, he doesn't like doing it in front of the camera. He will chew the referees out. And, uh, that, you know, that's kind of how he, he really releases his frustration, I guess, during game days. He's just not the type of coach to lash out at the, in the middle of a game. Um, you know, you're, and, and really the players, as tough as this year has been, the players have kept a very good attitude. And I think the culture is still strong because, Coach Houston is a good leader. I know fans get frustrated with kind of hearing the same thing after every game. He's got to keep a certain uh, persona at the podium because if you start finger pointing and blaming one side of the ball or the other, that's how you create locker room issues. The players see everything he says at the podium. I know the fans want to hear more accountability, more direct answers. But to be honest, nothing's going to make – anybody happy until the wins start to come. It doesn't matter what he says. So really he could go on a tirade and call out the offense for being awful and failing to score points. And it may make the fans happy in the moment, but it's not going to help at all in the locker room. It's not going to help the team. So, uh, you know, I understand that as well from a coaching perspective. Thomas also adds the media continues to be soft on Houston. He hasn't earned that right. Again, nothing we ask. I don't think he's going to make that big of a difference. I've asked every which way about the offense. I've asked Donnie about the offense. It's just they're just not very good right now. Um, it is what it is. Thomas also says, when did we forget how to recruit receivers? I get that we do not have a quarterback that can get them the ball, but there were a few throws that hit a few of them in the hands. Those had to be caught this level. Yeah, I mean, receivers have been a uh, have been a disappointment this year, but – it's you know Ryan King got in last night. They've they've rotated that receiver. They've utilized you know Brock Spalding, Ryan King more in recent games. When you get your opportunity, you got to catch the football. Chase Soul is uh, is catching the football, and um, it's just one of those deals where nobody else is really consistently catching right now. We didn't even see Jalen Johnson get targeted last night. He had a few drops last game at Rice, so it's just a frustration frustrating situation right now. Offensively, uh, Grant Matthew says, "Give us a thirty-second rundown of thoughts on the scrimmage." That's uh, Monday. We are going to talk basketball. He's talking about the basketball scrimmage. We'll talk basketball. We'll have Casey Romaley on. He's our hoist the colors basketball analyst. We were both at the scrimmage, and we will have a full report on Monday's show. I know people are ready for basketball, and we'll talk a lot of basketball on Monday, and then of course turn our attention to Charlotte. Right now, though, I'm not. I'm taking the weekend off from ECU football. I got to do it. I advise you all to do the same. Philip, thanks for the time today, producing, and uh, hopefully your Panthers can keep it close on that. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. Absolutely. This has been Hoist the Colors. We'll talk to you on Monday. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host Stephen. I-